Are you happy? If you are not, what set of events, what circumstances would it take for you to be happy? Do you consider yourself fortunate? Do you look at your life and think, God has blessed me and I have opportunities, I have blessings in my life that give me a fortunate set of circumstances? I personally could say I feel very much blessed. I was blessed to be born to parents who were Christians. I was blessed to be able to grow up in an area where many people loved the Lord. They loved the church. They wanted to attend and be a part of it. I consider myself fortunate to have been able to preach for congregations of God's people who are good and sound and faithful people. As you start thinking about the words happy and fortunate, you are driven to the thought of the Beatitudes. And you may say, I don't see the connection. Well, let me take just a few moments to explain why I'm going to preach our lesson tonight and then to tie it together. Several months ago, Brother Roger Comstock from Morrison asked me to speak on their summer series. He said, our theme will be the Beatitudes. And then I was assigned three of the Beatitudes. When I first read them, I thought, well, there are three distinct ones. But then after studying them more fully, I come to the conclusion that they all have a similar thread or theme running through them. And so I entitled this lesson, Happy at the Judgment. Happy at the Judgment Day. What I would like to do in our lesson tonight is look at, first of all, some preliminary ideas. Study a little bit about the idea of Beatitudes. Then I would like to look at those three passages as time permits and then to try to bring them all together. To begin with, as we start looking at what is a beatitude, if you go to your dictionary and you look up the word itself, it will point out that it comes from the Latin word, which means to bless. And when you think about blessings and you go to your Bible, you will open it and you'll realize there are a number of passages that use the term blessed there. Some of them, for instance, will uh, be in one context, some in another. And I think it's valuable for me to explain that there are two main words that are used in the New Testament. There is first the word that is from our English word eulogy. It's called eulogia, and it means to say good words. It's found in such passages as Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Or, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of, or the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort. That's that word, eulogia. But there's another word that is found in the New Testament, it's found in 50 places in the New Testament. 
It's found in 37 places in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. It's found three times as a noun and two times as a verb, and it's called makarios. And it is the word from which we get the word blessed. It's found in a number of different passages, and I'd like for just a moment or two to point out to you that they are found in several collections. If I were to ask you where are the Beatitudes, most of you would respond immediately. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Those great blessing passages which the Lord offered on the Sermon on the Mount. You may or may not know there's a lot of other Beatitudes that are found in several other places. For instance, in the book of Revelation, there are seven Beatitudes that are found there. There are some in the Old Testament, I think if you were to just, I mention them to you, you'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. The book of Psalms, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates both day and night. That word for blessed is often translated happy. One of the passages that in my judgment is very enlightening or opening is found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 8. The queen of Sheba had come and had met Solomon. And she was observing his wisdom, observing his wealth, observing everything that Solomon had. And she said in chapter 10 and verse 8, Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. You think about how fortunate these people were. Many of us have had great teachers. I have been blessed with some tremendously great teachers in my lifetime, both in secondary school and college and graduate school Great men. But imagine being a servant before Solomon and hearing his wisdom each and every day. Well, this thread that runs through all these passages talking about being happy and about being fortunate, I think can also be understood by a New Testament passage. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in the latter part of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking about widows. And his advice was for them not to marry. And you come to verse 40 and he says, But she is happier if she remains as she is. She'll be happier. She'll be more fortunate if she does not choose to marry given the set of circumstances Paul was describing. With that background in mind now, I'd like to go to the three passages that were assigned to me. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 46. Brother David read that for you just a few moments ago. I want you to open your Bibles there because we're going to look at that passage and see how there is a blessing pronounced. And Jesus said, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, finds him so doing. To understand what Jesus is saying, you need to go back to chapter 23, verse 37. 
Jesus is looking over the city of Jerusalem and weeping. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says to them in verse 38, See, your house is left to you desolate. Your house is left to you desolate. As you go into the first part of chapter 24, it says that Jesus was coming out of the temple. His disciples were with him. And he said, Not one stone will be left upon another. When they get to the top of the Mount of Olives, looking over the city of Jerusalem, they said to Jesus privately, Lord, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus begins to respond to explain to them all of the events that would precede this destruction of Jerusalem. But Jesus also ties together with their question, what about the day of judgment? In verse 36, but of that day and of that hour knows no one. When the Lord is coming, no man is going to know when that date will occur. There will be no signs that precede that day. And then when you come to verse 45, the Lord is going to use an illustration. And I pointed out a few times in our study that this passage, like many other that describe stewards, is not one which we identify with. We do not hire people who come and live in our home, or more importantly, we don't own people who live in our home that we give jobs to, that they have to do them as a slave. In this passage, if you look at verse 45, you will see that this servant has been chosen to provide the food, the meat, in due season. He is a steward over the food of the household. And you can say, well, what's the big deal about that? I want you to imagine, here is a man who owns enough servants that he has to have a servant who's that is his job. It's his task. He must provide the food, whether he buys it or sees that it is grown from the crops that are grown by that man's estate. He has to provide an adequate amount, but these are the days where there's no refrigeration. And so he has to provide the exact amount of what is needed. If you buy too much, then it will spoil and ruin. If you buy too little, the food will not go around and people will be leaving hungry. Now, if you want to know how difficult of a job that is, talk to some of our brethren who are going to be working at the food booth this next week. How much food do you order? How many people do you plan for? And what you will notice in verse 46, he says, Blessed is that servant who when his master comes, finds him so doing. He's doing his job. He goes on to explain in this passage that if that servant begins to beat his men's servant and his maid servants, He begins to treat them with disdain. And in fact, if you go to Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, there is the parallel passage. And there Luke says, recording the words of Jesus, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, he shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know shall yet 
committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For to whom everyone, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And for whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Notice the word prepare. This passage, this beatitude, is blessed as a man who has prepared himself and does what his master tells him to do. You think about the sense of accomplishment. My master gave me a job. I did that job, and now I am ready for him to come at any time. I'd like for you to compare that, if you will, to us. How many of you have ever gone to school and prepared to take a test, and you've gone in, you've studied hard, not just the night before, but days before, you have studied the material, you know the material, you know that you can answer the questions, and the teacher comes and says, okay, you've got a test today. Are you happy at the test? Are you fortunate that you have studied? Most certainly you are. Are there some people who are ready now for the Lord to come? If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22, Paul says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And then he uses the words, O Lord, come. The original word is Maranatha, which means, O Lord, come. How many people could say that word? Lord, we want you to come now. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. Looking for it. It's not as if you are dreading it, but you are ready for it to happen now. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, looking for and hastening the coming. Let me ask you, would you be happy if Jesus came right now? Not at the end of the lesson. Not sometime later on tonight. I'm talking about right now. If all of a sudden the trumpet were to sound and we were all to be changed in the twink of an eye and you were to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ, would you be happy? Would you be fortunate? If you're not... We'll be singing the invitation song in a little while. Someone says, but I don't know if you can know whether or not you're ready. I don't know that you can be sure. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 7 and verse 17? He says, if any man wills to do his will, he shall know of this teaching, whether I speak of God or whether I speak of my own authority. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, John writes, These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know what you believe and know that what you are believing is right. David in Psalm 144 verse 15 said, Happy are the people who are in such a state Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. That's what we're talking about. Happy, blessed is the man whom when his master returns shall find him so doing. 
second passage. Will you turn with me now to the book of Revelation to chapter 14 and verse 13. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with this passage. Used frequently at funerals. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, who may rest from their labors, for their works follow them. Now, if you go back to the first part of Revelation chapter 14, you'll have the picture of the 144,000. I don't want to go into all the details and the symbolism because if I do, I'll lose the train of thought that I'm trying to give here. But I will tell you the 144,000 are those who have been redeemed from the earth. They are praising God in heaven. As you go a little bit further, you are looking and seeing those people here on earth who are standing firm for their faith. And there is a warning there to stand firm. Read with me now verses 9 through 12. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of the wrath of God, wine of the wrath of God, which he has poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone from the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Who worship the beast or his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints." Here are those who keep the commandments and faith of Jesus. When he says here are the patience of the saints, these are people here who are standing firm. These people who are standing firm know that their brethren have died before them. For those who see their lives in a very precarious position, they see themselves as possibly dying at any moment. What about those dead? They're fortunate. They are happy. What? Are you suggesting that people who he is describing here are fortunate? They are happy? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. The first thing is they know that they have died in the service of Jesus. And someone says, I'm not sure that I can understand that. If you go back to Jesus' great sermon on the mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall reproach you and revile you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice! And be exceedingly glad. Now listen why. For great is your reward in heaven. 
For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. In 1 Peter 4.13, he says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You're going to be blessed in doing that. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. That phrase, in the Lord, can be taken two different ways. It can be taken, number one, as describing a person who is a Christian. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It can have reference to a person who is doing the will of God. Ephesians 6, verse 3. Children, obey your, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord means obey them as they teach you in accordance with God's laws. In this case, I believe both are true. They are dying in the Lord because they're Christians. They are dying in the Lord because they're dying for their faith. Revelation 12 and verse 11 says, they love not their lives unto death. Revelation 2 and verse 13 says that they held fast his name and did not deny even in the days of Antipas his faithful witness. And then he says that they may rest from their labors for their works follow them. Resting is a promise that God has made. Hebrews chapter 4 provides for us a discussion of that great rest. He explains there that when you look at the rest that the children of Israel were promised, they didn't get to go into it. Why? Because of unbelief. He then goes on to explain when you get down to verses 9 and 10, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There's still a rest out there. It's the eternal rest. Now look very carefully at verse 10 because it applies to what this passage is saying. For he who has entered into his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. God created for six days and then the seventh day he quit. He stopped. He rested. Those who are children of God, when they get to that Wonderful day can cease from their labors, from their works, and rest. That last little phrase, for their works follow them. The other day I was reading online about some Bible software that I bought. One guy making a real cute comment said, well, you ought to be able to just get all you can. One guy chimes back in, well, you can't take it with you. And he says, oh, but you can. The knowledge that you derive, what you learn, you can take that with you, can't you, into eternity? The things that you have learned, you can't take your money, but you can take what you've learned. And you know, the Bible does say that there are things we can put in heaven. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust 
corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, there will be treasures there in heaven that we have sent there ahead. Very quickly, let's go to the third one, chapter 16, verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. There's a whole lot to be found in Revelation chapter 16. If you will, just for a moment, let me point out to you that the verses that precede, verses 12 through 14, talks about the gathering together a great battle. Look specifically at verse 14 with me. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth, to the whole world, to gather them together to the battle of the great day of the Almighty. They're going out to try to get everybody together. Just skip over verse 15 for a second and look with me at verse 16. And they gather them together to a place called in Hebrew Armageddon. See, everybody when they read Armageddon immediately think this great end of the world here. It is the great battle between God and Satan. And I will tell you that the use of Armageddon is a figure of speech based on the Mount of Megiddo, a great battle site in Israel, which they would have well understood. As you follow the verses, verses 17 through 20, you come to understand that the battle is over. In fact, verse 17, the last three words of verse 17 says, it is done, the battle's over, God has won. Well, here he says, I'm coming as a thief. Just like Matthew 24, there's this theme together that the appearance of Jesus is not something that's going to be announced. It's going to take place quickly, suddenly, unexpectedly. And for that reason, a person ought to remain prepared. He goes on to say here that a person should watch... And should keep his garments. And there's a whole lot I could bring out about watching. But I will tell you about keeping his garments. The garments that he speaks of here he also spoke of in chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 and 18. And he talked about a person being naked. You imagine something happens in the sudden in the middle of the night. I don't know what kind of bed clothes you wear. It may be an old tattered, torn T-shirt. But I dare say most of us would not want to come out into the public in the clothes that we would wear at night. That's the idea of the unexpectedness. And he says, what you need to do, you need to watch and you need to keep your garments ready so that if you are called upon at a, a moment, you're not going to go out naked. You're not going to go out displaying yourself unprepared. The message of it is the same message from Matthew 24, verse 46, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13, and here, and that is, we all ought to be prepared 
and ready. Happy at the judgment. Would you be happy if Jesus came right now? Would you be fortunate because you have made proper preparation? You know, go back to that servant, Matthew 24. He had a job. He was told to do that job. He did that job, and blessed is he. Are you blessed tonight? If you're not, you can make the proper preparation. We're going to sing this invitation song. And it is for you who are not a Christian to call you because of faith and a penitent heart to confess that faith in Christ and be baptized. If you are a child of God, it's calling you to make changes in your life and pray that those sins that you have committed will be forgiven and with the reassurance that God will forgive. Would you come while we stand and sing?